Let's pray together. Father, it is good for us to pause, to take a moment and recognize our frailty, our need, our inability, while at the same time recognizing your power, your greatness, your ability, how you can enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. You do that by the power of your spirit, through the preaching of your word. And so God, I pray today as we open your word that your spirit would bring forth life, understanding, perception of these great truths that we're going to read. God, we thank you for this word. As Peter said to Jesus in John 6, you alone have the words of life. To whom else can we go? So God, we are coming to you. We ask you to help us today. Help me, as always, to communicate it in a way that is first and foremost honoring and glorifying to you and then helpful to us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, we're in Genesis. Uh, Genesis. Whew. <laughs> Going way back. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll reference Genesis 12 later. No, we're in Ephesians. We are in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three. That was just to see if you were paying attention, all right? Um, any perceived mistake on your part was planned on my part. Um, Ephesians chapter three, uh, verses one through six is where we're going to be, and Lord willing, we'll finish up Ephesians chapter three uh, this year because we've been in this letter now that Paul has written to us, to our, or not to us, to the Ephesians, but for us to help us understand the great things that God has done. In fact, the first three chapters of the letter of Ephesians, as said many times, is what we call the indicatives. It's what God has done. And then chapters four through six are the imperatives. It's what we are to do in light of what God has done. And what's amazing about what God has done is not just what he's done for us individually, but what he's doing throughout human history. What he's doing, not just with one group of people, but through all groups of people. And you're going to see that specifically today in Ephesians 3 as we talk about this mystery that Paul is going to help us understand to really kind of the key to unlocking the entire Bible. If you can understand this mystery, if you can understand this thing that God is doing, then you'll understand your Old and New Testament. And so we're going to go verses 1 through 6. But as always, I want us to read a couple verses and then we'll stop and we'll chat about it, all right? So Ephesians chapter three, verses one through two, let's read those. For this reason, I, Paul, that's how we know that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, because he says it. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, right after that, you'll see a long dash, all right? In your English Bibles, that's a way of saying that what he's about to say from verses two all the way down to verses 13 is like a dash. It's like an interruption into a flow of thought. And the reason why we know that is because verse 14 is going to start the very same way as verse one for this reason. And verse 14 is when he's going to start praying. So Paul's about to pray, but before he does that, he kind of interrupts his flow of thought because he had just said something that's important to understand that he wants them to understand, and so now he's gonna take some time to explain it. And then he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So let's stop and chat about this. This is the first time we've seen in this letter that Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. Now, there are several letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. They're called the prison epistles. This is one. Colossians is one. Philippians is one. Philemon is one. Paul found himself in prison. But I would dare to say he probably found himself in prison for different reasons than you and I might find ourselves in prison. All right? 
I seriously doubt anyone here, maybe, if you were a missionary in another country, has gone to prison because you were sharing your faith about Jesus. Most of us have been in prison or jail, not because we were sharing our faith, because maybe we were sharing a drink, all right? We were, we were sharing other things that we shouldn't have been sharing. So Paul finds himself in prison, and that's going to be um, important to understand. We'll come back at the end of that, or at the end of this sermon, and kind of pick that up again. But he says this, that he's a prisoner. Now here's what's interesting. He says he's a prisoner on their behalf. He's a prisoner on their behalf. Not like they should be in jail, but he took the rap. Not in that way. We understand that. There are some people that maybe they didn't do something, but they took the fall for it, right? He's not in prison in that way. He's in prison on their behalf. And here's what's crazy. In, in Philippians chapter one, he says, actually him being in prison has served to advance his mission of spreading the gospel. But in this one, he's saying on their behalf, I think the key in, in why he interrupts his flow of thought here from verses two through 13 is he doesn't want them to feel bad because in verse 13, he's gonna say, I don't want you to lose heart over this. He says, yes, I'm in prison, but it's on your behalf. I'm here for you. Basically, what he's saying is what's happening to me is to your benefit. This is a, what's called a preposition of advantage. And that's a weird thing to say. He says, I'm a prisoner on your behalf. Which is why verse two, again, he breaks his flow of thought about he's about to pray in verse 14, and he starts to explain this to them. He wants them to understand how he's a prisoner on their behalf. And then he introduces again, really picks up on the same idea from verse one that we talked about in our series in August called Sacred Stewardship. In fact, if you were here back then, I taught out of Acts chapter 20, where Paul was leaving the elders of the Ephesian church. And he was leaving them and he was telling them he had to because of this stewardship. So you can see how in Acts chapter 20 and Ephesians, they fit together with this concept of stewardship. And here's what Paul says. He says, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me for you. So to understand why Paul is in prison is to understand it's a stewardship issue. So what I want us to do is I want us to think for a minute, what is stewardship? Again, if you were here, you would understand this back in August. If you weren't, you can go back and listen to that. But here's the first thing I wanna pick up. In fact, if you wanna take notes, you can write this down. Stewardship is when grace is given to us, but not just for us. Stewardship is when grace, what is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve, getting a good thing that you didn't deserve or not getting a bad thing that you did deserve. So stewardship is God giving grace to us but that grace that God gives us is not just for us. It was to us, but it's not just for us. And here's what I want us to see. This concept of stewardship is one that is driving all of Paul's actions, all of his actions. He's doing what he's doing because he understands something. He's a steward of something. And a steward, by definition, I told you this back then too, is a manager. The word stewardship literally is the Greek word oikonomia. It's where we get our English word economy. And so to be a stewardship is to be faithful in God's economy. To be, it's literally, it means household management. It means you are faithful in managing what God has given to you. And the concept of stewardship, very simply, is understanding that everything that you have is a gift. Everything that you have is a gift to you. It's a result of God's grace to you. You say, well, 
My hands made it. Yeah, well, where'd your hands come from? Well, the breath that I'm breathing made it. Yeah, but where did you get that breath from? Right? That's, it's this idea. Stewardship is, it came from someone else to me. But here's the key. The grace that God gives to us, it's never, ever just for us. It's to us, but it's never for us. And Paul is helping the Ephesian church know that this stewardship that was been given to him, he was so faithful to it, it's landed him in prison. And this prison, if you know the story, Paul's sharing his faith, and he's jailed, and then he appeals to the fact that he's a Roman citizen. And so he sits in a jail cell in Judea, which is modern-day Israel, waiting to go back to Rome, which he does. In fact, we were in Israel back in 2019. There's a port city called Caesarea Maritima, which is just Caesarea by the sea, which was a port city. And it's still there. You can see it. And Herod built it because the Romans had taken over. And anytime you see something Caesarea, it's an awe to, to uh, Caesar. So he builds this huge port city and there's this like big amphitheater, think kind of Colosseum type of thing. And then underneath that is some jail cells. Not like green rooms like we would have in ours, but I mean, just imagine building an amphitheater and then you're like, you know what a good idea is to also put into this? Prisons. <laughs> we went underneath that and have a picture from these jail cells, which is more than likely where Paul was housed as he awaited going to jail in prison in Rome, which, where he would have eventually been killed. And I'm thinking about that. I'm like, man, that's a stewardship, y'all. <laughs> like he's in jail because of grace. I don't know about you, but have you ever interpreted grace like that? Let me say it like this. Which of you would think that if you landed in prison, that that would be God's gift to you? Anybody want that gift for Christmas? No. You want a new Apple Watch or, you know, you want good things. And Paul's saying, I'm in prison because of grace that was given to me. Now, here's the key. He says, this grace was given to me, but it was for you. It was for you. Paul was living his life in such a missional way. He was living life on mission to the point that he interpreted everything in his life, good and bad, as necessary for the advancement or the benefit or the advantage of others. That's stewardship. You say, well, how in the world do you get that kind of mindset? How, do you, how in the world do you get the kind of mindset where I'm living my life in such a way where everything that I am doing is for the benefit of or on behalf of other people, good and bad? Well, let's keep reading. Look at this, verse three. He's talking about the stewardship now. He says, how the mystery. Now, he doesn't tell us what the mystery is. He's not gonna do that until verse six. So I'm not gonna tell you what the mystery is yet. I'm just gonna, I want you to see how it came about. How the mystery, he says, was made known to me by revelation. So Paul got this gift, got this stewardship by revelation. As I have written briefly, verse four, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, he's referring to the Old Testament, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That's an operative word. Now, what he's saying there, what's key is he says, as it has now been revealed. Paul's not saying it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. In fact, I'll show you two key verses. One of them is Genesis. 
I'll tell you, I'll show you two key verses that shows it was revealed in the Old Testament, but think about it like this. It was concealed or hidden or still a mystery in the Old Testament. Think about like it's shadows. It was shadows, and if you have a shadow, then the shadow is the, is the evidence of a substance. Because the shadow is simply the reflection or, or, or light shining around a thing. So if you have a shadow of something, then you must have a substance of something. Let me say it like this. It's impossible to have a shadow without a substance. So what you see in the Old Testament, in fact, this is how Paul talks about it, are shadows. But what he's saying now is God is no longer speaking in the shadows. He is now speaking of the substance, the thing. So what he's getting at is in the Old Testament, in the days before, it was revealed differently than it is now. It was shadows then, it's substance now, it's clear. But here's the key that I want us to make sense of this. Paul's saying this stewardship that he feels, this stewardship of grace that came to him before them, it came by God making known a mystery. God making known a mystery. And that happened by the Spirit. So I wanna show you just a very simple kind of order of things here that just kind of details what Paul said in this th three verses here, verses three through five. So I have it here on the screen. There was a mystery that was revealed, all right? Paul wrote it down, and then he says this in verse four. We read it, and then he says, we'll be able to perceive it. So you see that? Mystery, it was made known. Paul wrote it, we read it, we can perceive it. Now here's the key, here's why I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, this is almost like a sermon within a sermon right here. The key to understanding how Paul lived his life is understanding that something was made known to Paul. And once it was made known to Paul, he couldn't act like he didn't know it. I tell this to people all the time. Once I know something, I can't not know it. Now, is that a profound statement? No. That's not a profound statement. You're like, well, duh, Jason, once you know something, you can't not know it. Why? Because you know it. But let me ask you something. How many of us know something but live like we don't know it? How many of us, someone would say a truth to us and we're like, well, I know that. But are you living like you don't know it? Let me give you a prime example. This is so fitting for 21st century Americans. You go see your doctor. Your doctor's like, you got high blood pressure, you got high blood, all this stuff, and, and your doctor says, you need to lose weight. You say, well, doc, how do I do that? And he says, she says, well, you eat less and you work out more. Well, I know that. I know that. Well, if you know it, why aren't you doing it? You see what I'm saying? And I just wonder, for many of us, our obedience is not keeping up with what we know. Maybe the problem in the church today is not that you don't know something, but you're not just doing what you know. Now, the reason why I'm sticking on this is because I want us to understand a key part, a key part in being a good steward, a key part in understanding um, 
Paul calls in Ephesians 1, the mystery of the will of God. Now, I've already hit on some things that we know but we don't do, but I wanna also help us understand or acknowledge the fact that there are some things that we would say, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what God's will is for me in this, who I should marry, what I should do, how I should live, all that kind of stuff. So I recognize that too. And the key to that is cooperating with the spirit of God in this process that Paul just lays out. He says, mystery, revealed, written, read, perceived. If we just take that from the end to the beginning, maybe there's some things you haven't perceived, and that word perceived means to know, because you haven't read what was written about this mystery that was revealed. Notice he says in verse four, when you read, not if you read. It's an expectation that they're going to read here what Paul has written. It's an expectation. When you read this, you can. That word can means have the ability to. It's literally the Greek word dynamos, power. Let me say it to you like this. You can't perceive unless you can read. And what I mean by that is this. If there are some things you don't know that you that are mysterious to you, then what you need to do is not look at your astrological sign, but read this book. Because the mystery of God's will has already been revealed. It's already been revealed. It's already been made known in what is written. The key is we gotta read it. We gotta read it. And this process of reading and perceiving, watch this, is going to happen by the Spirit. Let me say it like this. You reading this book on your own, you won't get perception. Does anybody try it? I mean, like you, you were like, bro, I read it. And I ain't perceiving nothing. Well, maybe it's because when you started reading it, you didn't first pray. Spirit, would you help me? Spirit, would you hover over the face of this book like you did the waters in Genesis? And would you bring forth? Would you bring forth light? Light is understanding. Life. See, Paul says, this all happened by the Spirit, which is why he said in chapter one, having your hearts enlightened so that you might know. So again, what I want us to see is if we're gonna be the type of stewards that Paul has, if we're gonna be the type of faithful stewardship that Paul has, where all the grace that was given to him he realized it wasn't just for him, it was for others, then we're gonna have to read and we're gonna have to perceive. Now, I would understand, obviously, there are people in this world that can't read. In fact, if you came to our giving dinners, you heard about a ministry that we help support that is getting discipleship materials out to oral learners. Notice also, he says, assuming you heard about it. So I'm not saying reading as opposed to hearing, I'm saying both. And a part of what we do here every weekend when myself or someone else is reading to you the word of God is we are giving you commentary on it. We're helping you by hearing preaching know how to read. And this is why Paul says in Romans, how can they know unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone who's sent, unless someone preaches? So the key, I'm just trying to show you here, if you want 
Let me say it like this, and then we'll move on. If you wanna understand the mysteries of God's will for your life, you better read this. And you better listen to preachers that help you understand and read this better. Because these are the words of life. As Peter said to Jesus in John 6, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. Now, let's go to verse six. Now he's gonna tell us. This is what happens when you keep reading, by the way. You get more perception. So now he's gonna tell us what this mystery is. Verse six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's the mystery. Now, if you paid attention at all to the sermons in Ephesians chapter two, that's not a surprise to you, is it? That this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Now, Gentiles, again, just means non-Jewish people. Non-ethnically children of Abraham. And one of the great mysteries of the Bible, and this is why we've done now three podcasts on this, talking about Israel primarily in light of current events that have taken place, is when people misunderstand how Israel, and I'm not referring to the nation today, I'm referring to the person whose name was Jacob, right? Who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. How Israel, the family, was the chosen people of God. The mistake people make is thinking that Israel was the only people group chosen to be saved. Instead of understanding that no, they were chosen for the family group from whom the Savior would come. But watch this. What is stewardship? Stewardship is when something is given to you, but not just what? For you. Watch this. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and he was given to the Jewish people, but he was never given just for them. And the problem in the Old Testament is that Israel was not a faithful steward. They were not a faithful steward. It's interesting how throughout the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as his son. As his son. Seed. Because that's a shadow. So let me say it to you like this. God entrusted Israel with a stewardship, which was the stewardship of his grace. And he entrusted it to him, then to them, so that they could have the grace of God come to them, which was what? It was birth. Abraham and Sarah had no ability to make a child, but God made a way. It was a supernatural birth. Very much like Jesus's, but different in that Sarah obviously was not a virgin but Mary was. And here's what I want you to see. This is the mystery. You're like, where do you get that from? Well, let me go back to Genesis 12 since apparently I'm so eager to talk about it, okay? Genesis 12, verse two and three. This is when God first called Abraham. His name was Abraham at the time. Verse two of Genesis 12. This is God speaking to him. He says, I will make you a great nation. All right, first thing. And I will bless you. That's God saying, I'm gonna give something to you. But check this, and make your name great so that, so that you will be a what? Blessing. Do you see the stewardship? See, God said, I'm gonna bless you 
But listen to me, Abraham, this blessing ain't just for you. I'm gonna bless you so that you will be a blessing. What does that mean? Let's keep reading. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. How many families? All of them, y'all. All. So watch this. Grace came to one guy to make a family. And Genesis 12 is important because it comes after, does anybody know what Genesis 12 comes after? 11, you guys are so smart. Thank you for hanging with me, all right? I'm just checking, making sure you're there, Jasper. I know you got that, all right? What happened in Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel. And what happened at the Tower of Babel? Everybody had one language, and God said, multiply. They were like, oh, I know we, we have a good idea. Let's stay right here and not multiply. And so right there, God makes the nations of the earth. They were one, now he makes the nations of the earth. And history tells us it was 70. Then the very next chapter, very next chapter, God chooses one guy from one of those new nations to get all those nations back. And here's what's amazing, here's the key. When God, when Jesus, as a, when he sends out his disciples, in fact, if you serve here, we have on our shirt 72, you're like, what in, that, what in the world is that about? Jesus sends them out two by two, 72. You wanna know the significance of that number? That's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. When he sends out the 72, each one of them represents one of the nations that God made in Genesis 11. That's an unlocking of the mystery. So what was God's plan all along? To get the nations back through one man and his line to get all men back through one family to get all families back. Let me show you another verse, Isaiah 49, verse six. And what you see in Isaiah, one of the primary themes in Isaiah is this idea of a servant. You're gonna see it again. 53, the suffering servant, we know that is Jesus. So look at this, Isaiah 49, six. He, this is God, says, it is too light a thing. I have never had anyone say that about me in my life. <laughs> Literally, it's too little of a thing. I was two weeks early and still weighed almost 10 pounds. Bless mothers, all right? Too light of a thing. Too, what's too little of a thing? That you should be my servant. This is God prophetically talking about Jesus, okay? To raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. The interesting thing, Jacob and Israel are the same dude, all right? What is he talking about? He's talking about, historically, the ethnic people of Abraham, and here's what God is saying. It's too light a thing to bring just them back. Now watch this. Ooh, I get excited. I will make you as a light for the nations. And that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Here's what God just said. He just said, it's too little of a thing to bring back people from one family. I need to bring back my kids from every family on earth. It's too little of a thing to bring back people from one nation. I need to bring back people from all nations. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of where? All nations. Which is why he sent out the 72, saying I'm getting those nations back. But how does... Jesus, do that today through his body. Not his flesh and blood body that died on the cross. But the entire point of the book of Ephesians is that you're the body. You're the church made up of Jews and Gentiles. That's 
the mystery. That's the mystery. That wasn't revealed the way it was now, then. But here's what's crazy. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, means they are now co-heirs with Christ, according to Romans 8. Members of the same body. This is why I do not believe in two different peoples of God, Israel and the church. We talked about that on the podcast as well. It's a complete misunderstanding of the entire Bible. God only has one people forever, and it's people of faith. That's what Galatians 3 says. He says it's not the children of Abraham physically that are the children of Abraham, but those who have the faith of the children of Abraham. So this is one family throughout human history, same body. And I love this one, partakers of the promise. The reason why I love it, that idea of partakers means consumers. It's the idea of eating something. I can just get down with that. Which is why I love, you know, the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the lamb. I cannot wait for Jesus's wedding cake. Oh, come on, somebody. Because it's not going to be that whipped up icing junk. That's from hell, all right? It's, <laughs> it's a substitute. No, when he says partakers, here's the idea of, in fact, I got a table here. The idea of it is on this table, there's a banquet. And, and again, for the sake of this argument, I'm saying this banquet is food, but in this verse, it's promise, Okay. Which it's no wonder why Jesus at the last supper used as an analogy for his body and his blood, bread and wine. What do you do with those? You partake. And what was Jesus saying? At my table, there will be people from all nations partaking. There will be people from all nations sitting at my table, partakers of the promise. Here's what I'm saying to you. A part of God's plan for your life is to carry out that plan, to bring God's kids back from all nations so that they can partake of what their heavenly father has laid out in Jesus. But you wanna know why so many people in churches will not get down with that plan because they're not willing to go to prison. You say, not willing to go to prison, Jason, what are you talking about? What is prison? Some of you know. Prison is not just a physical place, right? It is but what is the purpose of prison? It's to restrict your freedoms. So prison is you living a life where your freedoms are restricted. And Paul said his stewardship landed him in prison. Let me make this applicable to you and me. Your stewardship should land you in prison too. But it may not be Cherokee County Correctional Facility or Pickens County Correctional or Hayes State Prison. It might look like Rev Kids on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and this is where you're like, I didn't see that one coming. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Rev Kids on a Sunday morning is prison for your children. Oh, no. It's better than a McDonald's playground. It's not prison for them. But for the team members, it might feel like it. Right? The team members are in there serving, and they're like, how much longer do I have to? Will that boy not hush in the sermon? Here's what I'm trying to show you. Prison is a willingness to give up your freedoms 
on behalf of others. That's all it is. And I wonder how many people here, you're coming to church on a weekend or on a Thursday and you're like, I love it. I get to come. I don't have to be here on time. No one judges me. I get to head out late during the prayer so that I can make it to wherever I want to go eat or watch the college selection show. I am not bound. The only thing I'm bound by is the officer at the road not letting me out. I'm free. And here's what I'm saying to you. If you live your life like that, you're a bad steward. Let me just, one example here. 1 Corinthians 9, I don't have it on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the, the subtitle of the chapter in my Bible says, Paul surrenders his rights. I'm gonna read one verse to you. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul said this, for though I am free from all, I'm free I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. That is you being in prison on behalf of somebody. That is you not partaking in the table of the promises just by yourself to just sit there and at the table and just eat and feast and eat. And listen, I want you to come to church and I want you to be fed, but I don't want you to get fat because you're just getting fed and you're not pushing back from the table and going and getting other people that God wants to also eat at the table. See what I'm saying? So yeah, I might look like Rev kids on a Sunday morning. It might look like Rev students on a Wednesday night. It might look like being a small group leader, being a care group leader, living life on mission, serving at hope for Christmas, buying some gifts. Oh yeah, and it might look like you giving. And this is the... This is my issue with Christians that won't give. You don't understand what's been given to you. Grace has been given to you. And that grace was given to you, not just for you. Anything that you have, your talents, your abilities, your job, none of it was given to you just for you. And if we're not willing to forego our freedoms on behalf of others, then we are mishandling the gifts of God. Let me give you this point. Once this mystery has been made known to us, we become stewards of the mystery. You ever wonder when you join our church why we don't call it membership? We call it stewardship. Maybe you haven't wondered. That's what we do. It comes out of verses like this. Because the idea of membership is like country club. It's like I get in, but they don't. Members have rights. Stewards, this is our tagline, have responsibilities. And the responsibility of a steward, yeah, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't, sit and eat at the table. I'm not saying that. Please come and eat and see that the Lord, he good, y'all. But what I'm saying is, let me say it to you like this. If on a weekend, God gave you an insight, if you leave here on a weekend and you say something like, I never knew that before. I never saw that before. Can I just tell you something? Now that you know you can't not know, and God wants you to do something with what you now know, and let me just say it this way, he didn't just tell that to you for you. He told that to you. Yeah, it's for you. I'm not saying it's not. It's not just for you. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 4.1, just so that you can see that I'm not lying. 
This is Paul, same guy, talking to a different group of people. This is what he said. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and what? Stewards of the what? Of God. Whew. Stewards of the mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery is your coworker that doesn't know God has a father that loves him. Your neighbor, who's not a member of a body, God wants him. And he has sent you as his steward. The only question is, are you and I willing to give up our freedoms on their behalf. So let me ask it to you like this. Who's your Gentiles? Who's your Gentiles? Those that God is asking you to give up your freedoms for. To make this incredibly personal, you are my Gentiles. I am completely free to live in the great state of Texas. And people ask me all the time, is there ever, ever a scenario where I would move back there? My first response is no, it's too hot. But secondly, no. You wanna know why? And Lindsay's grandparents just moved here a couple months ago and she's, her, his, her grandmother's asked me several times, why did you move to Georgia? Why'd you move so far away? Because that's what was required for me to be a faithful steward. giving up my freedoms, giving up what I wanted for what I want more. And all I'm saying to you is God's plan for you is the same. The details will be different, but the purpose and plan is not. Do you consider yourself a steward like that? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus was the greater steward. Where Israel failed, he succeeded. Where they were to be a light for the nations, where they were to be the servant. Jesus willingly let go. This is what you said in Philippians. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And Isaiah 53 calls him the suffering servant. Jesus was not a prisoner, but he died as one so that he might save those whose souls are in prison to sin and death. And so God, I pray right now for anybody here that doesn't know the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and put on flesh and dwelt among us and he died in their place for their sin. Jesus became a prisoner so they'd be set free from prison. No one looking around or talking here as we close, if you have never heard that gospel that's the whole point of the Bible. That God wanted you back in his family. So he sent his son to take your place as a slave to sin so that you might become a son or daughter of God. So if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, but he has opened your eyes after the reading and preaching of the word, then you can be saved. No one looking around or talking here at both locations. If you have never trusted in Jesus, but today you want to. Because by grace, you're being made alive. And now in faith, you can respond and be saved. That's you. You can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. He came 
and died as a prisoner, but he rose as a king, beating death. And I today want to trust in him to save me, forgive me. I want this life. So would you save me? Thank you for loving me. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you just trusted Jesus for the first time, then today you are a child of God and you are now partakers of the promise. And it is our joy and honor to serve you. And so if you just did that, would you just simply lift your hand up? Again, nobody looking around or talking. We got men and women, they're gonna walk around and give you a gift and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who have already partaken of that promise, please hear me, I am not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm trying to grace you into understanding. The purpose and plan for your life is to be a good steward. For you to responsibly manage the grace that God has given to you, and you do that by willingly restricting your freedoms on behalf of others. And I don't know what that looks for you. Maybe that is joining our church and becoming a steward. Maybe that is joining a team. Maybe that is serving in Rev Kids and Rev Students. Or maybe it's outside of our church. It's not either or, it's both and. It's living life on mission wherever you are. But I wanna encourage you to do that. Because now that you know, you can't not know. Father, I pray that you would help us Help us to be obedient to this stewardship of grace that you've given us. And we thank you because God, if we're honest, we don't deserve the grace to begin with. So the fact that you gave it just blows us away. Now help us realize you didn't just give it for us, but you gave it for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.